for the show that takes dog training beyond your backyard. It's Bark Talk with Bonnie. Brought to you by Advanced Canine Techniques, your dog training specialists. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bark Talk with Bonnie. I'm so glad to be back with you guys again today. I want to give a little shout out to my friend and colleague, Lisa Quintero. She owns Bullyhead Dog Obedience, and she actually prompted this specific topic for this podcast. And I want to talk about how to live with your dog. I think a lot of times people um, have false expectations and false realities about what it's like to live with a dog. Um, having, a, having a pet is wonderful, um, but it is a responsibility. And I think the first thing I would definitely point out in terms of living with a dog is training should be proactive and not reactive. Um, too many times I think that we wait until the, there's a problem and then we call a trainer, um, which by all means, please do that because we want to help you with any issues that you're having with your dogs. But ideally, if you start with... Um, your feet on the ground to begin with. When you have a puppy, you can work with a trainer, whether it's private lessons or group classes, um, or even a board and train where you um, set a solid foundation for that puppy, or it could be an adopted dog or even a dog that you got as an adult too. But you want to set a strong um, foundation and a fair foundation for that dog to teach them how to live with you. Um, dogs are coming into our world. Like they don't necessarily know how to wait at doors, how to come back when we call them, how to sit politely next to us when we're eating food at the table. That's all foreign to them. So we need to think about situations in the eyes of a dog and think about they've never been taught to stop and wait and listen and focus on us and get rewards for that. Um, I think it is important to to help dogs and set them up to succeed whenever possible when we work with them. Um, so whenever you bring a dog in for the first time, it's I would say it's important if you live alone or live with a family, before you bring that dog home, sit down as a family and think about the expectations that you want for that dog. What are the rules? What are the goals that you have for your dog? And then make sure that everybody in the household is on board to help implement those rules and goals as well. Um, it's not fair to a pet when you bring them in and one person allows them to jump up, one person allows them to get on the furniture, one person feeds them people food, and then everybody else in the household is continually correcting that dog for those same same situations. That's very confusing to the dog and he's not going to understand or she's not going to understand why they got punished for that. So make sure everybody's on the same page and following that same advice. Now I'm not saying it's easy by any means. It, it truly is not. And when you, when you live with a dog, it is a responsibility and you want to make sure that you are thinking, um, about things in the eyes of your dog as well. Um, the more that you have routines and consistency, um, ideally um, making them work for their food and their resources and their treats, that is important. Dogs do like structure and they like um, they like yes and no answers. They like to know, okay, this is okay, and if I do this every time, I'm going to get rewarded. Um, maybe with petting and um, toys or, or treats, um, but over time, you'll be able to fade the majority of that food out. And if I do this every time, I get corrected for that. So we want to make sure that our dogs have a very um, solid structure. That's, that's going to help them succeed. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that we Again, look at things in the eyes of a dog. Um, we want to allow them opportunities to be a dog. Yes, take them to 
a location, maybe with a long lead on, and let them run free. I mean, all dogs deserve the opportunity to have that, um, whether it's in some kind of a... Um, a fenced in area someplace or just someplace where you can take them with, like I said, maybe a, you know, 20, 30, 50 foot leash and let them run a little bit, come back to you. Let them sniff the grass, let them check things out, let them actually um, enjoy being a dog. And then you want to work on having them walk nicely next to you, having them follow obedience commands. You know, for those dogs that enjoy that, um, do tricks with them, do agility, do therapy work, find something that your dog likes to do. But with that said, be mindful of what your dog's temperament is. Not all dogs are cut out to be therapy dogs. I, I can tell you my dog, Ginger, not a candidate for therapy dog work. She loves nose work. She loves agility. She loves to hunt and run in the yard. She's great at obedience, but she doesn't really like to be petted. So for me to use her as a therapy dog would be doing her a disservice. Um, and sometimes I do see people that maybe only have one dog and they really love to volunteer. They really love to, they want to take their dog to work with them if they're a social worker or work in a nursing home or work someplace where they might be able to utilize their, their dog in that capacity. But unfortunately, the dog just doesn't have the temperament to do that. Now, you can force some dogs to do it, but they're not going to be happy. Um, and really, you're adding a lot of stress to your dog when you do that. So, you know, realize in and sometimes having a trainer work with you can help with that too to figure out what your dog loves to do um, and then take advantage of that. Maybe it's dock diving. Maybe it is nose work. Maybe it's... Um, you know, competitive obedience, but finding something that your dog enjoys doing too. Um, and it depends on the breed. Some working dogs are going to be um, good at everything. Um, like those popular people in high school that are good at everything. And then you find the others that maybe just have a specific niche that that's their focus area. Um, dogs are going to be somewhat similar in that regard too. So you want to just find the things that your dog likes to do. Um, and sometimes, even though it's hard to hear, Somebody may say, yeah, he could pass the test and, and he could do it, but he's not going to enjoy it. Um, and if your dog doesn't enjoy it, you're really not going to enjoy it either. Um, so ideally, living with your dog, find activities that your dog enjoys doing and help them to be a dog. Give them those opportunities to sniff the ground and to run outside and be free um, and to have fun. But then you also need to teach him again rules, expectations, guidelines for living with you in the house. And setting those in advance will help, and then helping your dog to succeed with that. I always view training to be proactive rather than reactive. I want to, um, again, set my puppy up to succeed. So if I want my puppy to lay in, um, on, a, on a place cot or lay in a dog bed while I'm having dinner, I'm going to start teaching my puppy how to do that from the time that he is old enough to understand that. Um, that may involve tethering, that may involve getting up from my dinner 15 times in a half an hour and putting my puppy back on the place cot or back on the place board. Um, that may involve every single time I go outside, I'm asking my puppy to sit and wait before I go through a doorway um, and teaching them that they have to 
take treats politely and wait for their food or treats or anything else. Um, and then also leaving items alone that I don't want them to have as well. But training involves a lot of repetition and a lot of consistency. Um, and the only way that your dog is going to succeed is if you continually practice that. Um, group classes are excellent, um, or private lessons for that matter, because we're going to be sharing the same information with you and helping your puppy learn and grow over the course of six to eight weeks. So there's some account accountability with that. Um, I know sometimes once the classes end, um, people get busy with activities and holidays and family plans, and then dog training kind of falls at the wayside, and dogs tend to regress a little bit, which can happen too. So then you either re-enroll in a class or you start... Um, holding the dog a little bit more accountable. And lo and behold, you know, the dog starts behaving a little bit better. Um, so the big thing to think about is just the more that, that you're consistent when you work with your dog, the better they're going to understand that, the better that they're, um, that we're going to be able to help them to succeed. Um, but when you work with your dog, again, think about what you want your dog to do in every scenario. Where do you want your dog to be when you're cooking dinner? Where do you want your dog to be when you're eating dinner? <laughs> Where do you want your dog to be when you're using the restroom? I know, I don't know how many people tell me the dog jumps up on me when I'm on the toilet. The dog sits outside the door when I'm in the shower. So some of you may like that. Some of you may need a little bit more space from your dog. So where do you want your dog to be and what do you want them to be doing? Once you figure that out, then go ahead and start enforcing that. And that may be using tethering, that may be, you know, um, putting that back on that item over and over again um, until they understand that that's where they need to, that's where they need to be until you come back to release them. And then the more that you do that with all of the objects, and really you're going to do that with all of the routines that you have. What do you want them to do when you have somebody come over? Um, whether it's a guest, whether it's a delivery person, whether it is... Um, you know, just somebody stopping by, you know, maybe a solicitor of some sort. Um, you know, you want to make sure that the rules are the same for everybody coming over. Um, and again, I always joke in my classes, I'm an, I'm an equal opportunity corrector. I want to um, reward pets and people for that matter for making good choices, good timing, um, good um, praise, um, good corrections, but I also want to correct dogs or people um, for, you know, maybe waiting too long before correcting, waiting too long before praising, um, allowing the puppy to do something and then correcting them after the fact, even though they caused the puppy to do it. Jumping up is probably the best example. And it might be a adult dog. It could be a puppy. But I've seen time and time again where a dog jumps up, people push him off. Dog jumps up, people push him off. Well, you're giving that dog negative attention, but it's still attention. So your puppy's going to keep doing it because you're pushing at him and you're talking to him. Even if you're yelling, your puppy doesn't understand that. He just understands, oh, you pushed me and I jumped off and I'm going to jump up on you again because now it's a game. Whereas if I can find a way to be more proactive and correct that and make sure that everybody in the house is doing the same thing and all my guests are following that as well. Um, 
when I, when we were in our first home, um, I often tell the story that um, I had a little heart to heart with my neighbor because I had my lab Sandy and she was the first dog, the dog that got me into training. Um, and she was maybe about four or five months old. So lab puppy, four or five months old, yes, love everybody, want to jump up on everybody, want to, you know, drag me down the street. So I was in training classes with her to work on all of that. Um, and we were making really good progress on jumping up. She was sitting politely for petting. She was standing and wagging her tail, but she had stopped the jumping. And then my neighbor came over one day and he kind of just came up to her and, um, and just kind of like, um, encouraged her to jump up on him, which of course she did. And then he petted her. So all of my training backslid and I had to basically start from square one. So I was like, dude, I'm like, you cannot let her jump up on you. I said, I know you like her. That's fantastic. I, I like the fact that you like my dog. I said, but she has to learn to sit people. I said, she's going to be 60 pounds. She can't be jumping on elderly. She can't be jumping on kids. I really would please appreciate if you would not let her jump on you. Um, and he was kind of a younger, you know, kid didn't really want to follow my advice very well. So the next time that I was out with him, I, I was prepared because I figured he really wasn't going to listen. Um, so I had a little spray bottle in my pocket. So when we got a little closer and he was going to kind of bend over and invite Sandy to jump up on him, I squirted him, um, in the chest with water. And he was kind of taken aback, like, what are you doing? And I said, you're going to invite Sandy to jump up on you. And I've asked you not to do that. I said, she has to sit. I said, this is really important. I said, I can't afford to get sued. I can't afford to have her jumping up on people. It's going to be problematic. Um, I said, what would happen if she would jump on your kids or she would jump on, um, an elderly person? I said, can you imagine if she knocked somebody over? I said, that could be really dangerous. And I think once I phrased it in that way and he kind of understood, oh, this, you're right. You know, this is a liability for you if I allow her to continue this behavior, you know, okay, I, I know I appreciate you telling me that because I didn't really think about it in that, um, in that regard. Um, and then he kind of like, you know, bent down and petted her and asked her to sit and then he was loving on her. And, um, then we, you know, we had a great, we had a great conversation and then he was like, okay, how else can I help you train with her? He goes, I'd love watching you work with her. Um, so then I was having him help me with stuff too. So, you know, it takes a village sometimes to work with a puppy, you know, get your neighbors involved, get your family involved, but make sure that they are following your rules. Um, I only let people um, pet my dogs in stores when they can follow my rules and pay attention. And I don't always do that. Sometimes I walk in and I just want the experience to be with me and my dog. I just want to kind of go, maybe do some shopping, maybe just go specifically out training. But I'm not looking to have my dog engage with every person every time we go out. Sometimes I just want them to focus on me. So it is okay to tell people no. Um, I know sometimes people need permission to that, to do that, or they feel bad telling a child, no, that they can't pet your dog, but it's okay to do that. Um, and I actually encourage that sometimes, like I said, go out and just work with your dogs, but don't have anybody pet them for that round. Maybe the only positive interaction they're getting is with you. And it doesn't always, um, sometimes I will take food with me just in case, you know, I encounter a training opportunity that I need to help my dog through, but I can also take that opportunity to just praise my dog and just enjoy a nice loose leash walk through a local store in town. So those are things that are helpful to kind of keep in mind just in terms of working with your dog, um, and having it be, and having it be fun. Um, and the goal with any training exercise that you do, and this involves training your dog, it involves working out, it involves any habit that you want to create 
it has to be consistent and it has to be fun. You're not going to do any activity if it's not fun. Um, I think the best example of that is walking your dog and probably trainers see that along with jumping up. Those are probably one of the two biggest issues um, clients have with their dogs. Um, and a lot of times it's because we allow the dog to pull. So we want to utilize different techniques to help the dog learn to stay next to us. You know, sometimes I'll use food initially. I may use some kind of a training aid, um, could be a gentle leader, you know, maybe a prong collar, might be a slip lead. Um, I mean, it, it could be even a, um, a, no, a no pull training harness as well. But I think the biggest goal is to make sure that our, um, our dogs are staying next to us. Um, and, and I can't stress how important that is because, um, the more you allow your dog to pull and to participate in any activities where they develop a bad habit, now you're just going to be spending time to break that bad habit. So that's where sometimes implementing or hiring a trainer early is going to be more successful to you because you want to work on finding a way to keep your dog next to you and using a training tool that you're comfortable with that your dog responds to as well. But letting your dog pull you out a door, letting your dog um, pull you um, down the street, letting a dog pull you to get to the dog park, you know, wherever you might be going with your dog. Ideally, I always reward calm and I reward loose leashes. So when we start to pull, I either stop or I turn and I walk in the other direction. But I want to make sure that I'm keeping the dog next to me and I want them to learn um, pulling gets you nowhere. Um, and you have to stay next to me with a loose leash before we get in the vehicle, before we go through a door, before we you know, get further on our walk. Um, so you, I mean, there are tons of training aids out there. Um, experimentation is the key for a lot of training. Um, some trainers may use specific tools and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that because they've used them so often they have good success with helping clients with that. Um, Sometimes it's easier to see, you know, I know some people have misgivings about certain tools too. Probably the prong collar is the best example. I mean, I understand they look medieval looking, um, but once you put it on your arm and you utilize it and you see that it can be really effective and that you're just holding the leash with your fingertips and you're taking your dog for, your, for a walk, sometimes you're like, this is the best walk I've ever had. This is awesome. I, I can do this every day now. As opposed to, I mean, I hear over and over, oh my God, taking my dog for a walk is the worst part of the day. Like I hate it. Like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to take my dog for a walk because I know he's going to pull me and my arm's going to hurt and I just hate it. So, I mean, if you're feeling like that, utilize, um, utilize a trainer um, because you want to make sure whatever training aid you use, that you're using it correctly. Um, sometimes you want to make sure it's well-fitted. You want to make sure it's the right size. You want to make sure that your dog understands um, how it works. You know, you don't want to put any tool on your dog and then pull too hard or jerk too fast and make it unpleasant for your dog. So um, slow is better. Take your time. You know, no matter what dog I work with, baby steps is the key. And it really is. I mean, and just like with some, you know, like for example, if you're on a weight loss journey, you might have three really good weeks and then you back, you know, backslide a couple weeks, you know, not a couple weeks, 
Um, that would be horrible. <laughs> Backslide a couple days. Oh, I had a really rough weekend. Okay. And then we just start with our um, foot forward on Monday and move forward again. So sometimes that happens with dog trainings. You might make really far steps forward and then you backslide a little bit. Well, you know what? Get back on, um, get back on track, you know, the following week and, and, and move forward again. But don't let a little backslide um, discourage you from continuing to move forward with the progress that you made with your dogs. Um, but overall, the biggest thing I want people to recognize is that dogs are dogs. They are not people. They are not human children. They're not babies. Um, I know sometimes I think that we use them in that capacity. And sometimes that can cause anxiety and nervousness and um, separation issues because we just basically use them like our, our human therapist. Um, and that is not what they are intended for. Um, I think that they can be phenomenal um, companions. I think that they can be phenomenal um, pets for us, but we want to make sure that we are recognizing that they are dogs and we are fulfilling their needs as a dog. Um, and I think that that's an important concept to understand. And I think sometimes if you miss that or really try to utilize your pet, um, as your therapist, um, it can, it can cause issues, um, because you're humanizing them in a way that they are just not meant to do. Um, and you can create unrealistic expectations for them. Um, you know, some, you know, and, and every dog is different. So you really need to look at the personality of your dog. Um, and when you do live with your dog, make sure whether it's from a breeder, whether you um, adopt, whether you get an adult dog, that the breed that you get fits your lifestyle. That above all, I would say is probably one of the most important aspects of living with a dog. Um, if you like to relax at home, watch TV, um, kind of take it easy, not much for being out in nature, you know, an active breed dog for you is not going to be a good companion. Um, I know everybody always talks about, oh yeah, as soon as 101 Dalmatians came out, everybody wanted a Dalmatian. As soon as these past couple um, movies came out featuring Huskies, everybody wanted a Husky, you know, or a certain breed that came out. And for some people, that is just not a realistic breed. Um, you want to make sure that the breed fits your lifestyle. So if you're active, love to run, love to hike, love to camp, an active dog is going to be more your setting. If you want to, you know, compete, rally, dock diving, agility, tricks, things like that, find a dog that's going to complement those skills. Um, but trying to turn a dog into something that they're not is going to be extremely frustrating for you and extremely problematic for the dog. Because just like people, you are born with a personality. Um, and you're not going to, you know, you're going to be an introvert, you're going to be an extrovert, you're going to enjoy this, you're going to be good at this. You know, if you want, some of my friends hate sports. So if you want them to play sports, they are going to be miserable. PE was the worst class in high school because they're just like, okay, I can't even stand it. There's not one activity that I enjoy um, in this class. So, you know, and then you put them in a science class and they excel and they explore and they do fantastic. So, you know, dogs are the same way. You want to make sure you find activities and find matches that specifically um, complement your puppy's play style and their lifestyle too. And above all, I think just 
make sure to keep working with your dog. Um, even if they are eight to nine years old, you can still do obedience with them. You can add in a little distance and distraction, maybe try to, you know, allow them to sniff the ground a little bit, or even teach them nose work or teach them a trick or two. Um, just because they're older doesn't mean that they can't learn. Um, so you want to always just, um, you know, maintain that level of obedience and, um, companionship with you with following those rules as well. Um, a lot of times people will say the more strict you are initially and you teach your puppy the foundations and the rules and you establish a good um, setup with them, then you can be a little bit lax and maybe allow them to do something here or there and just and monitor their behavior. Make sure that they are comfortable with those privileges and with those additional opportunities. You know, some dogs, if you give them, you know, a mile, they're going to take five. Well, you know, it's like, okay, I will allow you on this section of the couch, you know, and then over time they're taking the whole couch or they jump on the bed or they start jumping on the counter. Well, if that's the case, maybe we need to take that privilege away. Um, and you bought the furniture, you, you bought the house, you're, you're paying the mortgage, you're, you, you bought their toys, Though, you know, you're allowing your dog to be a part of them, but technically they belong to you. So be aware that if they are destroying something, if they are um, taking advantage of something, if they're possessive over something, those are privileges that need to be revoked. Dog goes back on a leash, dog is tethered, um, dog is crated more often. Um, you know, you want to make sure that there's consequences for some of those behaviors. That's how dogs live. That's how dogs learn. And we want to make sure that we are, in all cases, setting them up to succeed and making sure that we are meeting their needs as a dog. Those are the main things that I wanted to cover here today in this specific podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we will have a newsletter coming out tomorrow. And then, as always, take a look at our Facebook page. Take a look at our website. Um, and then we will be um, practicing um, or posting up to upcoming classes that we'll have as well. So we definitely want you to, to follow that, too. So um, take advantage of that, and we will um, talk to you soon. Have a great day. You've been listening to Bark Talk. For more information, go to our website, advancedcaninetechniques.com, or find us on Facebook.